from the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association, welcome to Volume 40, Number 41 of Grapevines. This is online version number 29, recorded on the 9th of October 2020. In this week's news, as Covid cases in Great Yarmouth rise, the Council takes urgent action. The rise in cases also brings visitor restrictions at the James Paget Hospital. And on a lighter note, Panto will be back at St George's this Christmas. Hi, I'm Graham, your presenter, and joining me from home is this week's newsreader Aileen, plus contributions from Julie and Andy. As usual, though, we start with some news and welcome Aileen. Hello everyone, this is Aileen. Just beginning to get a bit autumnal. Um, weather's not so good. Coronavirus still causing a havoc everywhere. So I'm not sure that there's a lot of particularly good news. But anyway, I will crack on with what we've got for this week. So next headline is seven days to save the town from lockdown nightmare. The local council is sending its staff to knock on doors during the last week following a surge of infections as it looks to head off tighter lockdown restrictions. Great Yarmouth has seen a spike in coronavirus cases which have nearly trebled, triggering a high-profile intervention to stop the spread. While two previous outbreaks had both been traced back to poultry factory workers, the latest increase was being spread between households and not limited to a single area or workplace. Public Health England data shows the borough of Great Yarmouth had 95.6 cases per 100,000 people for the seven days leading up to the 1st of October. That compares to 37 cases for the seven days leading up to Thursday at the end of September. Manchester has the highest rate of 522 Council leader Carl Smith said the town was at its crucial tipping point, which could go either way. He urged everyone in the borough to make sure they followed all the latest lockdown rules in order to protect lives and livelihoods in Great Yarmouth. We have a very small window of opportunity of 7 to 10 days max. This really could be crucial, he said. We are really trying to get the message across to residents and visitors to abide by the rules. My message to the people of Great Yarmouth is please follow the rules. The last thing we want is for Yarmouth to have any more restrictions which would be devastating for everyone. Head of Environmental Health, James Wilson, said that council staff would be knocking on doors all week, visiting hundreds of high-risk homes and delivering thousands of leaflets in multiple languages as it tried to pull the town back from the brink of a deeper lockdown. A second line of attack will see officers target businesses in Yarmouth and Galston to make sure they are COVID safe. Lisa Carr at Carr's chip stall said she was worried about the rising cases from both a personal and a business point of view. However, she said overall people seem to be doing their best with more people wearing face coverings and looking to stay safe. Drilling down into the most detailed neighbourhood data for the period at the end of September reveals 95 positive cases were recorded across the borough. The majority of the cases were in areas named as Yarmouth Central and Northgate and Yarmouth Parade, with 38 in the last seven days for which the data is available. 
A spokesman for the Borough Council said its officers would be targeting areas in the town centre where the data suggested the cases were coming from, including the new town area, Nelson Road and Middlegate. The trajectory was up, he said, adding that the planned high-visibility engagement swoop was preventative and aimed at heading off additional restrictions. From early last Monday, shoppers saw extra marshals in the town centre reminding people of the urgent need to follow the advice given the rise in cases. Reaching a rate of 100 cases per 100,000 would likely trigger more severe lockdown restrictions, Mr Smith said, adding that the decision would be made by Public Health England in conjunction with the government. They would likely include a ban on people mixing households indoors and out. He said a second rise was expected as people mixed more, but that no specific cause had been given for the rise in Great Yarmouth. Meanwhile, people in the streets said they were unaware of the increase, one woman saying she had just been in a shop with five others who were not wearing masks. It made me feel like I wanted to leave quickly, she said. It's not really the shopkeeper's fault. He was just one man behind a screen. These are the type of people the council needs to speak to. There's lots of COVID stories. Um, One of these is a COVID has helped us, would you believe? How one venue is keeping entertainment going. Bradley Fish reckons he has six or seven performers call him every day looking for work. The Jube in Great Yarmouth is one of the few venues in the county where it is still possible to enjoy live entertainment, albeit in a different way to before. But it has not come easy or cheap, and every day brings new challenges and fresh scrutiny that Mr Fish meets head-on with the determination and passion that most people would struggle to summon. The 44-year-old is determined to make it work, or at least to satisfy himself that he did all he could for the business and his hometown. Tucked away on the fifth floor of Marketgate Shopping Centre, the former Conservative Club complex, tipped as the new going out, 12 months ago was, in common with other venues forced to close in March. Since then, he has invested tens of thousands of pounds in remodelling the space, essentially a bar, pool and snooker centre, function room and karaoke booth, and creating a flower-filled outdoor terrace. The return from lockdown went surprisingly well, with younger people finding their way to the Jube and 15,000 coming through the doors, but not in the past few weeks. There has been a lot of investment and it's going to be a long time before we see anything back, he said. If businesses are able to make it through the winter, there will be some better times next summer and hopefully it will bring some fortune. Meanwhile, the new 10pm finish and rule of six have seen takings plummet by 95%. He has gone back to the drawing board again to find new ways to bring people in. The result is sit-down Saturdays and Sundays, cabaret-style live entertainment which is mostly free, with food and drink being served to a COVID-safe crowd from six o'clock. Acts include local singers, psychic Stephen Treadaway and sets of soul legend Richard Routledge. The bar has been stripped back and new dinner-style tables put in with sneeze screens and the menu boosted. It is all safe, sociable and officially approved and a world away from how he started a year ago. In many ways, Covid has helped us, he said. It has helped us to do things and shape the business differently. We now have the roof terrace and the opportunity to future-proof what we are doing.
we have to keep pushing ahead until we are told we cannot, and I am very proud of what we have here. We have a large, very flexible space we can easily adapt and focus on a different approach. COVID has made us think about how we can invite people in and generate some income. Not that I'm saying it has been easy. We were able to provide some good entertainment within the guidelines and have proved it can be done and people do have the opportunity to go out. On the downside, he has lost five door staff as there are no longer needed and cannot give his remaining staff as many hours, leaving him and partner Laura to shoulder most of the work. It's very tiring. There's been lots of sleepless nights. The level of scrutiny is very stressful, he added. We are very conscientious and very responsible. There are so many restrictions we are fighting against just to keep the door open and serve these customers that do want to come out. We have put everything into this and literally chucked away at it and a lot of people do appreciate what we are trying to do. A pub reopens under a new landlord. A 400-year-old pub in Great Yarmouth has finally reopened after the new landlord faced obstacles during the lockdown. The St John's Head, a freehold on North Quay dating from the 17th century, was bought earlier this year by Gillian Harwood, founder and managing director of Buzzworks, a London-based company which converts old buildings into business hubs, while the man behind the taps will be entrepreneur John McKinnon. The original plan was for a light revamp before reopening the pub in March, but that was before the pandemic. Mr McKeonan, who is originally from London and took over the venue in February, says it seems like a millennium ago just before lockdown. The pub had reopened in July and August, but had to close again due to an electrical fault. It finally reopened again on October the 3rd. His long-term plan, put on hold by the virus, is to transform the premises from traditional English pub into a futuristic cafe bar and shared workspace offering light, locally sourced food, sound art and electronic performances, talks and exhibitions. Mr McKeonan, originally from London, has a background in advertising and in the late 90s set up a coffee bar chain in the capital. What brought him to Great Yarmouth is his interest in the Fourth Industrial Revolution, a period when new technologies including automation, artificial intelligence and augmented reality will fundamentally change the way everyone lives their lives. I want to introduce some of the stuff coming down the pipeline, robots and apps and automated systems, to introduce them in ways that are fun and playful. But that can't be done for now. Everything's just difficult, so it's going back to basics, he said. Those basics for now include more than 50 different kinds of ale from breweries all over Norfolk, Suffolk, Cambridgeshire and Lincolnshire, with the pub open for taster sessions where groups of four to six people pay £6 per head and get in to sample a variety of beers. This makes more business sense than having five individual customers which would mean the pub, due to restrictions, would be full, the landlord said. The St John's Head is open Wednesdays to Saturdays from 1 in the afternoon to 9pm and on Sundays from 1 till 6. Well, Aileen, we'll have more news in just a while. In the meantime, you may have heard me apologise last week 
that one of the pieces recorded for us by Julie was suffering technical issues. It was, in fact, horrible beeping sounds <laughs> caused by her phone signal being picked up by the Grapevine portable recorder. Happily, with some time to think and some fiddling, I've managed to reduce this intermittent problem so that we can hear what Julie is saying. So, with apologies for the odd noises, we can welcome Julie to this week's recording. Now, if you've heard any of my previous chats, by now you will gather I'm a great nature lover, enjoying nothing more than totally absorbing myself, gazing upon our beautiful country and seaside areas in this, our special part of England's green and pleasant land, as we sing in that rousing hymn, Jerusalem. I revel in getting mucky, growing my own produce and sharing crops with friends. Actually, that's half the fun. All sorts emerge from my tunnels and plots, each lovingly and laboriously tended. How is it, though, that Mother Nature produces such wonderful seasonal goodies without human intervention? No pruning or fertilising, yet year after year, there they are. What would Christmas be, for instance, without those sprigs of holly? It's red berries and dark green, glossy, prickly leaves laying across on mantelpieces, not forgetting pure white berries and mistletoe suspended from the ceiling or above a door, under which that traditional kiss has become the beginning of many a lasting romance. The same with flowers, bluebells and snowdrops pop up, carpeting our woodland floors in spring. Our meadowland, mushrooms of all shapes and sizes, some edible, others poisonous, squishy blackberries, plump, purple, small, plum bullaces, their golden cousins, mirabelles, and yellowish crab apples growing in clusters, flanked by light green serrated oval leaves, to name but a few. Yellow buttercups, little white daisies with their tiny dense spiky petals and almost orange centres appear overnight through summer in grassland, even if it has been freshly mown. Bright yellow broom and similar but spiteful gorse adorns hedgerows in heathland. Lacy-headed, creamy-coloured cow parsley towers above pretty pink campion trumpet blooms, yellow cowslips, vivid blue cornflowers with their unique petal formation are just a minuscule amount of species festooning roadside verges. Riverbanks, ponds and streams sport tall brown cylindrical shaped velvety heads of bulrushes alongside feathery silver reeds rustling in the breeze beneath which yellow marsh irises are proud favourites to that most beautiful of insects, dragonflies and the iridescent blue damselflies. Come with me now to the fields where poppies sometimes dotted about singularly or in masses intermingle amongst wheat, oats and barley, despite the farmers' attempts to curtail their growth with weed killers. They are not weeds, just glorious, scarlet, delicately petalled flowers showing off their defiance, appearing each even more vibrant 
within the ears of golden wavering corn. To top all of that wonderment, each species has its own unique texture and perfume. We as mere humans cannot in any way emulate such perfection. Doesn't that make you feel humble? I certainly do. As I write, I'm gazing out of my shrubbery. Some would call it a lazy gardener's corner, but I have left nature to perform its own miracles, keeping pruning shears stowed well away as an experiment. Oh wow, what a fabulous result. They have all intertwined branches, colours which in no way would we put together in a fabric to wear, just seem to enhance each other with such vibrance and beauty. Reds and oranges and pinks, for instance, all blending in an enchanting way against a shiny green and variegated three-pointed leafed ivy black drop. Nothing clashes. Why not? I've never been able to work that one out. At present, the weather is dreadful. I'm finding it impossible to believe that only two days ago, whilst hedging, wishing I was splashing about in a cool sea or on a beach somewhere instead of perspiring buckets, topping by an average of six feet gangly headlands, hauling, raking and chipping, we were blessed with what? Tropical temperatures in excess of 26 degrees. Oh my word, definitely too hot for manual work like that. But needs must and extremely grateful I am too for making the effort as today is like another country. Jolly cold, wind speeds of 50 miles an hour plus, accompanied by almost horizontal rain, which is absolutely lashing it down. Garden furniture and other loose items are blowing around all over the place. But there they are. My beautiful sunflowers have stoically turned their backs to the prevailing wind direction, standing firm against the elements. And the shrubs are wavering around, seemingly enjoying the power shower. Only upside I can see at present is that my sun lounge hasn't been so clean for ages. The sound is deafening as tons of water is wasting no time noisily hurling itself onto the transparent polycarbonate roof. It's like being inside a kettle drum, but an incredible sight as it torrents uncontrollably down the glass like a waterfall, gutters unable to cope with the force. Oh no, it can't be. Sadly, yes it is. Time to deliver a birthday present now. Hey ho, nothing for it but to grab my waterproof coat and trousers, pull on my trusty wellies and go for it. Not exactly a picture of sartorial elegance, I can assure you. Battling with the door against the wind, I brave it. In those famous words of the great Antarctic explorer, Captain Lawrence Oates, I may be some time. Thanks, Judy. Some of Andy's weird Norfolk in a while. First, though, Hayley with the second part of the news. And now another story about James Paget Hospital. The James Paget Hospital in Galston announced it is reintroducing temporary visitor restrictions after arriving COVID cases in the community. This will apply from Thursday the 8th, with exceptions in place for children 
vulnerable and pregnant patients and end-of-life care. All hospital services will continue to operate. Paul Morris, Director of Nursing, said this isn't a decision we take lightly, as we know how it can impact on patients and their families. Protecting our patients, some of whom are extremely vulnerable, is always our top priority and we must do all we can to minimise the spread of the virus at a time when our community has one of the highest rates of infection in the region and we have seen an increase of patients with COVID needing hospital care. We will keep this decision under regular review and we appreciate the patience and support of our community. Please continue to help us and each other by following national social distancing, face covering and hand washing guidelines as these measures really do make a difference. There are a number of exceptions where visitors will be accepted. These include one person accompanying a child or a vulnerable patient, including those with learning disabilities, autism or dementia to A&E, or an appointment or a cancer clinic appointment. A partner can attend a 12 or 20 week antenatal ultrasound appointment and the, in the delivery suite during birth. A patient or carer can visit a child who is on the children's ward. The hospital will also allow one person to visit a patient receiving end-of-life care. A hospital spokesman said, We're asking that this is the same person in any 24-hour period, unless there are exceptional circumstances, which can be discussed with the other ward team providing care for your loved one. Patients with an appointment or planned operational procedure should attend as planned. A hospital spokesman said, remember, if we all play our part, together we can control the virus, protect ourselves, protect others and protect Great Yarmouth. Now, there is apparently an invasive plant in the Norfolk Broads. People have been warned not to dump plants in rivers after an invasive species was found floating in the Broads waterway. According to the Broads Authority, the rogue floating pennywort has been spotted in the upper reaches of the River Ant and has the potential to carpet rivers entirely. In a Facebook post, the authority said, We are concerned that the invasive floating pennywort has been spotted. This plant can carpet rivers and increases management costs for navigation authorities who have to clear it up. We are working with partners at the Environment Agency and North Walsham and Dillham Canal Trust to investigate the latest outbreak. It looks likely to be a result of someone dumping plants from their pond into the natural waterway. It said, please, if cleaning out your pond, make sure you compost the plants and never dump them. Be plant-wise and learn how to spot this invader and report it to the Norfolk Non-Native Species Initiative. On its website, the NNNSI noted that the floating pennywort originally from North America was spreading rapidly across the UK and was proving to be particularly invasive in Norfolk. It also said that operations were underway to eradicate the species from the river Waveney. Since 2014, the pennywort has been banned from sale and is illegal to plant in the wild. The rapid growth of the plant can lead to the formation of dense patches, which can be mistaken for solid ground. The NNNSI's website says, This can easily become a problem for us, dogs and other animals which can fall and potentially become trapped. 
these dense mats often push out native plants and clog waterways. In Britain, an estimation of the cost of chemical control for these species can be up to £300,000 a year. Other notorious non-native and invasive species include the Japanese knotweed and giant hogweed. In April 2020, the Environment Agency labelled Japanese knotweed as indisputably the UK's most aggressive, destructive and invasive plant. However, while this invasive plant tends to affect urban areas and can cause damage to buildings by targeting weak points in bricks and pipes, the recent outbreak of pennywort is very much a water-centric issue. Now, a B&Q store has had a deep clean after a coronavirus case. The B&Q store in Great Yarmouth has been deep cleaned after a member of staff tested positive for the virus. A spokesperson for them, the DIY giant has confirmed a worker at the branch in Pasta Retail received a positive test in September. We are following government guidelines and the correct test and trace procedures have been implemented. All colleagues identified as potentially being in close contact have since tested negative, the spokesperson added. A pair of community workers will be knocking on every door in Galston over the next six months, checking on how people have been coping during the virus. The initiative, organised by the Shrublands Youth and Adult Centre in Magdalen Way and awarded a grant by the National Lottery through the government's COVID funding, will see Maria Greenwood and Hayley Hutchinson work their way round the coastal town street by street, house by house. They will have conversations with residents while staying outside at a safe distance, returning to anyone who would like a chat on another day and those who need follow-up support. Miss Greenwood said the project began on September the 28th and is now into its second week. We're going into the community, knocking on everyone's house who lives in Galston to do a welfare check to make sure no one is lonely or isolated, that they have food and electricity and telling them about any groups they can go to making sure no one is left at home alone and not being missed in this area. She said the project had been going really well. We came across one gentleman, a lovely chap, who didn't have any food. I was able to deliver him a food package. There were some lonely residents, some with health conditions. This morning, October the 6th as it was, we have to go to a house to help with prescriptions. Some people don't even know which services are available in the borough, Miss Greenwood said. It hits emotionally. But it's rewarding to know we've made that person smile, she added. Miss Hutchinson said, A lot of people don't see a friendly face for weeks on end because of the Covid and some are shielding. Some of it is are just happy to see a friendly face. We chit-chat about the weather or what's on TV. We are just friendly face, just there to help. For the two women who have been knocking on doors on Magdalen Green Flats and along Almond Road, people wanted to say thank you. Next, they're going to Pine Green, Elder Green and the Magdalene Estate. Over the next six months, hopefully, we'll have seen everyone in Galston, Miss Hutchinson said. And what a marvellous thing to do in your time, particularly with the weather getting bad. Well done to them. Now, there's an additional sad piece of news for me about the Clark Shoe Shop. One of Britain's oldest shoe shop, Clark's, with many stores across Norfolk, is preparing to close stores for good. It is understood the closures are necessary as part of a rescue deal for Clark's, 
led by Hong Kong-based private equity firm Lion Rock Capital. This deal is apparently dependent on approval by creditors of a company voluntary arrangement. This allows a firm in debt to pay its creditors over a fixed period and continue trading. Clark's was founded in 1825 by Cyrus and James Clark, has shops in Norwich as well as Kings Lynn, Yarmouth and in Suffolk in Bury St Edmunds, Newmarket, Felixstowe, Lowestoft, Sudbury and Ipswich, also March in Cambridgeshire. It is not yet known if any of these stores are affected. Last year, the firm stated it would be pulling out of high streets after it posted results, showing its turnover had dropped and its books were also hit by a devaluation of its properties, down £50 million across the UK and US. Pippa Stevens, retail analyst at data and analytics firm Global Data, said the retailer had 521 stores in the UK at the end of 2019 and should have started the process of eliminating stores much earlier, as consumers have increasingly been shifting to purchasing online in recent years. Clark's became synonymous as the brand parents' choice for their children's first pair of shoes. The firm evolved from the slipper created by the founding Clark's to creating the world's first foot-shaped shoe. The children's ranges were renowned for being available in whole sizes, half sizes and a choice of widths and the children's feet were measured on the firm's unique foot gauge. I have to say it's a very sad story about that because really uh, my children all had their shoes from Clark's and where do you go now to get proper shoes fitted? Now, a fisherman's story who could have been killed when teens threw a picnic table over the sea wall. A fisherman says he could have been killed after a group of teenagers threw a picnic table over a sea wall. Fisherman Allen says the group caused mayhem on Lowestoft Seafront in the early hours of Tuesday. The 61-year-old from Bradwell watched as the group threw bins into the sea before seeing the picnic table from the fisherman's wharf nearby hurtled over the sea wall towards him. He said, I don't know if they realised I was there or not, but it was quite scary at the time and it gets scarier the more you think about it. I took cover against the sea wall when I saw three ewes approaching along the seafront, throwing bins into the sea and causing mayhem. A little while later I heard a scraping sound and looked up to see a pub's picnic table coming in my direction. Thankfully, I was able to jump out of the way, but it could have killed me if it hit me. I don't think they should be allowed to get away with it. Alan, who was fishing at the spot for the first time, phoned the police. He said they were taunting me, but they were just silhouettes against the light. I turned my headlight on, what I call my supernova, and they ran away before I could identify them. A lot of people say they will never fish in this spot, and I was worried something like this could happen. But it was a quiet Monday night and there wasn't a soul around when I arrived until they turned up. A spokesperson for Suffolk Police confirmed officers were called to South Pier Royal Plain at 12.40am on October the 6th following the incident. They said officers attended and carried out a search but the group could not be traced. Two of the men from potentially a group of three are described as both being teenagers One had curly hair and the other was wearing a parka jacket with a fur hood. It isn't known what the other man looked like or what he was wearing. 
further inquiries are being carried out, including reviewing CCTV footage in the area. What a shame that there's just people wandering about causing mayhem. Thanks, Aileen. More news in a while. In the interim, though, we welcome back Andy. Hello, this is Andy, with another in the Weird Norfolk series of stories. This one concerns the wise woman of Ersted. She was the wise washerwoman of Ersted, near Ludham and Potterheim, whose predictions, proverbs and observations were shared right across Norfolk in the late 1700s and early to mid-1800s. Mrs Lubbock was born in the late 1700s, and her wisdom on a huge range of subjects had, she said, been passed down to her through the generations. In 1849, the Reverend John Gunn published a paper on her in Norfolk or Archaeology, having collected her sayings as they fell from her mouth as nearly as possible in her own racy language, and noted that her venerable folklore is not without its inconveniences and drawbacks. It has exposed her to the suspicion of witchcraft. Gunn added, when asked how she came by them, she replied that she learned them when a child of her father, who was very fond of old proverbs. Education she had none, but, as is usual, her memory and imagination have been exercised the more on that account. In the year of 1813, she was left a widow with several children, and has since maintained herself by carrying on the humble occupation already mentioned. That employment she continues in her 80th year, declaring she would rather die in a ditch than go into the workhouse. Mrs Lubbock had various proverbs. For example, Candlemas Day, February the 2nd, if it was fine and clear, the shepherd would rather see his wife on a bear. If the sun shone, it would snow before May. Farmers should have half their turnips and half their hay, and candles shouldn't be burnt at all past February 3rd. She believed Valentine's Day should be held on February 13th, not 14th, and told the story of Robert Staff, who used to keep the maid's head in in Stalham, opposite the church, who believed he could tell who was going to die or be married in the course of the year by watching the church porch on St Mark's Eve. Those who went in singly were to die. Those who went in couples were to marry. Working on Good Friday was, she said, bad. If work done on that day, it will be so unlucky, it will all have to be done over again. She believed dogs could be quieted by pulling off one's left foot shoe and turning it. That if it rained on a Sunday before Mass, it would rain all week. And if anyone hears a cuckoo's first note when in bed, Illness or death will follow, and that hard winters don't follow an autumn, 
where acorns have been plentiful. Salt added to a wash would keep out thunder and turn away foul spirits, and spirits of the dead would haunt the places where they had hidden their treasure. She felt it particularly fortunate to live in Potterhyam. That blessed are they that live near Potterham, and double bless them that live in it. But there was bad news for those who believed in little people. There used to be fairies in old times. There are no such things now. And we think that some people today are a bit strange. Andy will be with us again in the coming weeks. But to round off today, here's Aileen with News the Third. Now, a couple of stories about Facebook would probably uh, encourage you not to do Facebook, and it's a warning. A fake Facebook account bearing the name The Hippodrome Circus is sending people's friends requests and asking for credit card details. The owners of The Hippodrome in Great Yarmouth said they had been made aware that an account has been created imitating the venue's official page. Jack Jay, producer and host, said they learned of the scam on Tuesday the 6th after a customer sent a message with a screenshot of the imposter account saying she had received a message telling her she had won a competition. The fake page, also named Hippodrome Circus, claims to offer prizes to winners of a competition announced on the official account on the 5th, giving away free tickets for the Halloween show. Mr J said it was quite perturbing because it was very good fake. All the information was exactly the same and all the images were the same. The circus has reported the hoax to Facebook. It's the first time we've had anything like this. It's just not very nice for our customers. We've built the Facebook page over the years and it's just a good community. We like to use it for competitions to give away tickets. It's a shame during these times when we're trying to do something nice there are others there spoiling it and doing things in a negative way, Mr J said. Clicking on a link on the fake account takes a visitor through to a page stating... Congratulations, you are a happy person who got a gift from us. Follow the last step by clicking on the registration button below. Remember, when you need to enter a credit card number. The Hippodrome has said its official competition does not require entrance to click links or register. Our page is an official Facebook business page, so you will never be friend requested by our page, so do not accept. Please don't click any links and if you see this page, please report the fake post for being a scam and then report the page for being fake and block them, the circus said. Fans of the official Hippodrome page have been commenting on the scam. Emma Baker said, I just had a message and friend request. What is wrong with people? Though I'd won for a second time. There is no need for this despicable behaviour, said Gillian Stolworthy. Now another person has been taken advantage of. A single mum is thousands of pounds out of pocket after unwittingly buying a stolen car on Facebook. Jade Green from Galston said she was taken in by fraudsters who looked decent. But three weeks after an exchange deal which saw her swap her BMW 4x4 for a Vauxhall Insignia plus £100, she was pulled over by police who said it had been reported as stolen. The car was immediately seized by the roadside. She fears she may never recover her losses and wants to warn trusting motorists 
they may be dealing with unscrupulous sellers who are offering cars with outstanding finance. Miss Green said she regrets not checking the car's background, relying on the word of the seller. A missing logbook also failed to flag suspicions, although she did question the woman's decision to s simply swap cars when she could have got more from a sale. The mum of two young boys, aged two and three, said she was looking for a more practical family car and was taken in by an advert on Facebook Marketplace. She went to visit the woman and her partner in the Breckland area and explained her situation. I thought they were normal people, she said. She said she had gone on HPI check but had lost the logbook. I just believed her. She seemed so genuine. Weeks after buying the car, she was pulled over by police near Great Yarmouth Racecourse. The car had been listed as stolen by the finance company. Miss Green, who works full-time as a carer, estimates she has lost £2,500. They took advantage of me, she said. I told them my situation. I just do not know how they can do something like that, and I don't want it to happen to anyone else. Reluctantly, she has set up an online donation page to help her recover some of her losses. A spokesman for Norfolk Police said people are investigating a case of suspected fraud after a woman purchased a vehicle from the Breckland area that was later believed to have been stolen. The vehicle has been seized while inquiries continue. And it really goes with the old adage that if a deal seems too good to be true, then it probably is. Now, a trio complete a tough cycle challenge. Mental health charities are set to benefit from a 440-mile cycle challenge. Three keen cyclists completed the coast-to-coast -coast bike ride last month to raise funds for two mental health charities. Lowestoft cyclists Rob and Pat Harbord and Carl Moore from Yarmouth returned from their charity bike ride on Sunday, September the 20th. They rode more than 440 miles in four days, carrying their equipment and camping en route. After starting in Hollyhead and Anglesey, riding via Barmouth, then across country back to Norfolk, they finished in Yarmouth. At the last minute, the trio had to change the start point as the Van Haar company they were using had closed their depot in Bangor, so this added another 40 miles to the first day. Rob Harbord said, We are relieved to have completed the ride after all the complications. It was tough, but a lot of fun. We faced some mammoth hills in Wales, the biggest being the notorious Hellfire Pass. And even when we made it to the flat lands of Lincolnshire, we had some brutal headwinds. However, the weather was mostly kind and the sun shone throughout. The trio have so far raised over £2,500 for mental health charities, Young Minds and The Twelfth Man, exceeding their original target and would like to thank everyone that has supported them and donated to the cause. To support the challenge, search for Robert Harbord on Just Giving. Now, with all the COVID, we haven't really talked about the Acle Strait much, but MPs are talking about it. Norfolk MPs have met a government minister to get assurances over when work will start on the A47 improvements and that the long-running battle to get the Acle Strait jewelled remains alive. The county's seven Conservative MPs met Roads Minister Baroness Vari and bosses from Highways England and concerns over the timetable for schemes already agreed on the A47 and that the Acle Strait duelling had been ruled out for at least a decade. 
At Norfolk County Council meetings, Highways England officers said the Acle Strait duelling was not in the next tranche of schemes coming through, so it would not be included until 2030 to 2040 at the earliest. The anger of county councillors prompted Yarmouth MP Brandon Lewis to write to Roads Minister Baroness Bardi. She replied that her in- interpretation was that although the Acle Strait would not be duelled over the next 10 years, it did not mean the proposal had been ruled out for investment in the next phase, from 2025 to 2030. She said, I am pleased to confirm that recent reports stating that improvements to the Acle Strait will not be considered until 2030 at the earliest are not correct. Many improvements to the A47 as well as the third river crossing in Yarmouth are already underway and plans for works on the Acle Strait will be considered as part of the next investment strategy. Mr Lewis joined fellow MPs Jerome Mayhew, Chloe Smith, Duncan Baker, James Wilde, Richard Bacon and George Freeman in a meeting with Baroness Vardy and Highways England bosses. Broadland MP Mr Mayhew, who recently raised the issue with Boris Johnson during Prime Minister's question, said the Norfolk MPs secured assurances that past delays to the duelling of the A47 will not be repeated and that the duelling of the Acle Strait was still very much in play. He said the Minister accepted personal responsibility for ensuring that in Highways England keep to their timetable for a series of specific improvements to the A47 which reflect the priorities of the A47 alliance. In addition, the Executive Director of Highways England committed to visiting the Acle Strait alongside MPs and local stakeholders so that plans for its duelling can be discussed. Stretches of the A47 between Eastern and North Tubbenham and from Lowfield to Burlingham are due to be duelled as part of a £300 million scheme, while changes will be made to Thickthorn Roundabout. Now, apparently Panto is going to happen this year, much to my amazement. Oh, yes, it will. Special lockdown Panto is to go ahead. Oh, no, it won't. Uh, thank you, Nicholas, adding a little bit of live entertainment. So, a pioneering project will help keep the festive Panto tradition alive at two Norfolk theatres, with thousands of children expected to join in online. The fairy tale of Rapunzel, a girl kept captive in her own lockdown tower while her hair grows ever longer, is to go ahead at Sheringham Little Theatre and Great Yarmouth St George's Theatre. The performance will be live-streamed online at schools thanks to Norfolk Music Hub, which promotes music-making among children. Debbie Thompson, director of both theatres, said, We have done lots of work with the Music Hub, and when I heard they were looking for a panto, I said, Look no further! We have been looking for ways to stage a shortened, socially distanced panto with a small cast at both venues to reduce the cost risk. And this link-up with the hub adds an extra dimension to ensure youngsters do not miss out on their annual dose of pantomime. In true panto style, it's a real happy ending for all concerned, even before curtain up. Rapunzel, the lockdown panto, is written and directed by Nick Earnshaw, and stars great Yarmouth actor Emma Riches in the title role. Charlie Randall from Aylsham plays the prince, while William Harry Williams from North Walsham is his celebrity agent. Lorraine Metcalf from Cromer plays the wicked sorceress. The 50-minute live stage shows will be at St George's on December the 15th, 17th, 18th and 19th, before switching to Sheringham leading up to Christmas. 
The live streaming will take place on December the 16th, filmed with a live band and an audience of invited youngsters at St George's, whose cabaret-style seating allows for more space and 76 guests in the 220-seater auditorium during COVID restrictions. Sheringham can host 40 people in its 160 seats under current rules. The sessions will be run by the Come and Sing Company on behalf of the Arts Council-funded Norfolk Music Hub. During the live screening, which will be captioned and signed, youngsters will be encouraged to get into the festive spirit by dressing up as their favourite panto character and to post pictures on social media. It will take place at 145 on Wednesday, December the 16th, with a warm-up session from 1.30. Krista Ribbons, the hub's area manager, said this is a brilliant opportunity for thousands of youngsters at schools or studying at home through isolating or homeschooling to get involved in a panto performance and learn along the way about pantomime, the theatre and to practice the songs using our online resources. Now, I know last weekend was the London Marathon and I saw a runner and always in awe of people that can do that. So the 3am start for Norfolk runners as the London Marathon went ahead in a new form. Runners across the county have marked the 40th London Marathon in a first-of-its-kind circumstance. The popular race had been rescheduled from April to October in light of the virus, but was later cancelled to all but elite runners. It didn't deter athletes in Norfolk, though, who laced up their running shoes and headed out. They included Mike Smith-Clare, a Labour County and District Councillor in Great Yarmouth, who set his alarm for 3am to take part. It was a wonderful event and great to see so many local residents joining in, he said. Even the rain couldn't put a dampener on our spirits. It took me seven hours to complete, having started at three in the morning, and I'm just glad to have finished and raised some money for the homeless charity shelter. Cathy Cordoner, a fellow councillor in Great Yarmouth, also completed the race and said, I'm so proud to be involved. I've had friends and family coming out to support me. It's a dream come true. Now, did you know James Paget Hospital is to be rebuilt? The James Paget is to be rebuilt as part of a multi-billion pound government scheme to build 40 new hospitals across the country. It has emerged. The Galston-based hospital, which serves Yarmouth, Lowestoft and Waveney, is one of six schemes which will see building work start immediately with seed funding for a further 34 hospitals to be forthcoming to help those projects developed. Prime Minister Boris Johnson confirmed funding for 40 new hospitals across England yesterday with a further eight schemes to be invited to be bid for. Following the announcement, Brandon Lewis expressed his delight that the James Paget Hospital is to receive government funding for a larger programme of upgrade work. He said the rebuild will ensure local residents have a fully modern, accessible hospital fit for the 21st century, whilst continuing to provide the excellent service they have come to, we have come to expect from the Paget. Mr Lewis said, I have long championed the James Paget and backed calls for further investment. Today's announcement is fantastic news for the hospital and the people of Great Yarmouth. The rebuild will ensure a state-of-the-art hospital for the local area, modernising the existing site for staff and patients alike, and I am excited to see the works get underway. 
The James Paget has long history of serving the borough of Great Yarmouth and this investment will ensure that it will be able to continue its excellent work for many years to come. The government said the package is worth £3.7 billion, with trusts that received seed funding now all fully funded to deliver 25 hospitals. Mr Johnson said the dedication and tireless efforts of our nurses, doctors and all healthcare workers have kept the NHS open throughout this pandemic. But no matter what this virus throws at us, we are determined to build back better and deliver the biggest hospital building programme in a generation. From Morpeth to Milton Keynes, we are building 40 new hospitals across England to level up our NHS so more people have top-class healthcare services in their local area. And I think that's absolutely marvellous. And when I was there recently... The staff found out that they were being given an extra day's annual pay leave holiday a year. So that is well deserved and they all seem to be very happy about that. Well, that's all the news that we've got for this week. It's a little thin on news, I've heard. Not particularly good news, except possibly about Paget. Fire is still with us. Lockdowns or restrictions likely. I have returned from a couple of weeks in Scotland to see my mum, who is finding it difficult and... With Christmas round the corner, it's difficult to know how things are going to be. So I hope you all stay safe and well. Um, Do wear your face coverings. Do keep washing your hands. But please don't despair. This is Aileen from Grapevine wishing you well. Take care. Get in touch if you have a problem. And this is the news for the week ending the 9th of October. Well, that's all we have for you for this edition of Grapevine. Grapevine, volume 40, number 41, is copyright 2020 of the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association. The content, in the main, is adapted from the publications of Art Limited and is used with their consent. However, the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association accept responsibility for editorial decisions made for this recording. Disney is next week's newsreader, and so please join us online for that. In the meantime, from Aileen, Julie, Andy and myself, it's bye for now. Have a great week, keep well and safe, and with an eye on the weather forecast, stay warm. Bye. Bye.